Welcome yes. back to It Was Murder, the number one heart-to-heart podcast. I swear to God, it's a heart-to-heart podcast <laughs> in the world. Our first 170 episodes are heart-to-heart. Absolutely. And they, there are receipts on whatever podcast app you were looking <laughs> yeah, go <laughs> back. listening to this or looking at this. I don't mm-hmm. know. We still uh, mention it occasionally. If, if you're here for the heart-to-heart, yeah. one through 126. Seven? I think six. Anyways. Maybe. Anyway. But now we're doing (laughs) Chain Reaction Open Season. Open Season. And we followed Aiji Okada. Okada. Sorry. uh, To 1973's Lady Snowblood. Mm. Oh, wait. Did we finish introducing ourselves? Oh, no. no. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just a mess today. I'm your diehard romantic, Eric Blood. And I'm your devoted lover, Alanito. And I'm the runaway virgin, Joe Garber. <laughs> and I interrupted you. That's why we didn't introduce. I interrupted the usual broadcast. Oh, it's fine. We watched Hiroshima Mon Amour, And now we're at Lady Snowblood. Yes. That's what A.G. Okada was from. Yes. I totally forgot to look out for him. Oh, I couldn't. <laughs> we'll get into it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Ellen. Oh, yeah. You've got 60 You're... seconds to tell the listener what this is about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I almost feel like I can. <laughs> nope. Okay, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Lady Snowblood. I can't even remember. Okay. Um, so <laughs> there's a lady in just the most beautifully shot Japanese prison. And she is giving birth. Um, and everybody's dressed in red like it's a handmaid's tale. And coincidence, it's snowing outside. Anyways, um, she gives birth and she is basically whispering to this baby, like, hey, you will take revenge on all of the whatevers. And then she says the name that I can't remember for de- revenge demons in Japan. Anyways, mm-hmm. I should know that, but I don't. Okay. So sue me. It's Bell <laughs> and Kiyomi Ito. That's where you can send the complaints. Okay. So um, basically the lady's mad because she, um, her family got murdered by these four really terrible people that were like doing this kind of not awesome or clever scam, which just shows that maybe villagers are gullible in this time period. (laughs) But so they get some money and then basically um, Lady Snowblood, Yuki, the baby has to go around just slicing and dicing the shit out of everyone and then we find out like is revenge as satisfying as we think not really oh yeah and her mom died also her mom um had sex with everyone on the planet in order to give birth to whatever that word is for japanese revenge demon at the end Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. asuna or asura asura Asura, that's what i think it was asura asura and i looked it up and it was like a god demon creator i don't know yeah, they said it a yeah, lot. They did. Is it me? No. Oh, that's weird. We're reversing order this week. Don't worry, Joe. You'll get your chance. <laughs> yeah. Why are we going in the opposite direction? Because it's coming. We're, we're just changing it up mm-hmm. for no one. <clears throat> okay. Yep, we're doing the exact same way. Lady Snowblood. Mm-hmm. I like the way you say that. <laughs> uh, Yuki is born <laughs> in a women's prison to a woman who was raped by three men uh, and had the rest of her family murdered. And she whispers into her baby's ear, you're going to avenge my death because you are an Asura, which is a demon. And uh, the baby remembers that for 20 years Mm -hmm. while being trained in the art (laughs) of 
killing and rolling down hills in barrels. <laughs> and uh, by the time she's 20, she has also gained an amount of style that is unreal. Uh, her kimono game can kill a person. Um, but if she chooses to use her umbrella sword and she kills and kills and kills and kills until everyone that she wants to kill is dead. And then she's like, what is that all there is? Is that all there is? <laughs> okay. Lady Snowblood. Uh, a woman and a man are moving to a village with their little son. And there's four people who are running a scam <laughs> and telling people that they can avoid the draft by paying them a bunch of money. And they murder the, the man right in front of her and they murder her son and then they rape her a bunch. And then she uh, ends up in prison for killing one of them, I think, and is so full of rage that she sleeps with everyone in the prison to try to birth a revenge demon, which she does, and named Yuki. And then she dies promptly after that. Yuki is raised by her friends in prison who used to hate her because she was such a slut but now love her. And then she <laughs> grows up training to murder all the people. And she finds three of them, murders them. And then the last one was it she thought to be dead in a shipwreck, but he wasn't. And she, so she goes to a party. And I think that Kill Bill should maybe be called Lady Snowblood Remake instead of Kill Bill because it's basically exactly the same as this movie. The end. Okay. Oh, so, wow. Ellen, you've um, seen this before, right? Uh, I have. And when? I have. When and why? Um, <laughs> I saw it in the theater. Mm. <laughs> Not when it came out in 1973. Yeah, we, I'm sorry. Were, did you, were you the Lady Snowblood baby that <laughs> yeah. went to the movie? <laughs> in a barrel. <laughs> the movie whispered no, in your ear. So... <laughs> so I think I've mentioned this before on the pod, but um, when I was growing up, Seattle had multiple Japanese uh, movie theaters mm. that screened all different kinds of movies from Japan. And my parents would take me quite regularly to see the movies. Often these would be like charitable like screenings. So you would go and it was like a double feature. And so we would go to them all the time. And um, I love them. And actually, the first movie I ever experienced in a theater was a Japanese movie. But often, um, it would be a double feature. And one of the films would be a Chambara film. And the other film would be a modern to contemporary film. Mm. And that was pretty typical if it wasn't like a first run thing for a few days. So um, Chambara films, do you, bo you both know what those are? No. No. I've never heard the word. Mm -mm. Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask. Okay. Oh, Chambara. So Chambara is basically a sword. Technically, it's sword fighting films, sword mm. fight films. Mm. Um, I just generally, because my parents referred to the movies as Chambara. And so I just had assumed it meant all kind of like weirdly violent. Maybe don't take your very young child to see these <laughs> every single week of their lives. But mm. um, movies. But so basically, Chambara to me, my definition is somebody's arm gets cut off while you watch. <laughs> yeah. but, the, but the word itself, it's, it's meant to describe like a subgenre, genre technically. So it's not, you can't conflate it with samurai films, for example. All samurai films are not, although they may have sword play and mm. usually do, 
it's technically doesn't mean it's a Chanbada film. Mm. So like Seven Samurai is not necessarily a Chanbada, mm. right? Yeah. So Chanbada is like you're fucking going ape shit, bananas crazy with your sword fighting. And the name actually is meant to reference phonetically sword fighting. Chanbada. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's cool. So it's yeah. kind of, yeah. it's like the grindhouse. It's also really fun to say. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah, the grindhouse it is, version of sword fight movie. <clears throat> yeah. But also a huge genre of films, you know, like oh, yeah. across time. Yeah. So, but it's, it's fun to say. Chambada is fun to say. When they put fake blood into like a very pressurized hose that shoots mm -hmm. out all over everyone whenever somebody gets cut. And shoots, just shoots that tempera paint, red tempera <laughs> yes. paint everywhere. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Which is great. I love it so much. Yeah. The funny thing to me is that because like so much of the movie is dubbed and uh, like the sound design obviously mm -hmm. is like Foley work and blah, blah, blah. They still, <laughs> they still use basically the sound of a pressurized air hose <laughs> yes. spraying yes. blood yeah. out. <laughs> it's so good. The blood is erupting from your sliced skin <laughs> yeah. so forcefully that it sounds like you just turned the sprinklers on. Yeah, totally. totally. I love it. So did you like this movie when you first saw it, though? I mean, yeah, because I feel like, understandably, like I just was a bloodthirsty kid, uh -huh. you know, who la <laughs> laughed at grotesque violence. Yeah. Cartoonish, though it may be. It's like ideas around the ideas in this movie may seem cartoonish, but I think the messaging is really intense and and, you know. Probably not for kids, but I just am the person that I am. And I think that a lot of um, who I am to this day is influenced by mm. my exposure to those films, to films from another country and to films that um, exhibit and celebrate, uh, you know, orgiastic levels of violence. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't. I couldn't say because I am. I only know who I am and who I who I have always been in that way. So I can't say whether it fucked me up or anything like that. I think mm. some people would say like, "Yeah, that's bad." I have a hard time imagining parents doing it that way now. But, I you know, but I love it. It also means like I grew up um, experiencing subtitles oh. right off the bat. Mm -hmm. So that's always really easy that's for cool. me, and it also. Um, really exposed my ear to even more Jap the sound of Japanese language. And I think I took on board like a lot of cultural nuance mm. without really understanding that that's what I was doing. So I mm. feel like I have a high comfort level with a lot of Japanese cinema historically and nice. and contemporary as a result. That's cool. You know, and my parents gave money to a good cause, but at what price? Yeah. How old were you when you saw <laughs> Lady Snowblood? Do you remember? Um, I would guess like barrel age. Yeah, barrel age. <laughs> ten or eleven. Okay, wow. Yeah, that's. 10 or 11. I can't yeah. tell because it's so. It is like cartoony and over the top. A lot of the violence, but then some of it is kind of like realistic and grotesque I in a real way. Yeah, I. My brain. I have to like think about what what a viewer in 1973 yeah. would how they would consider what they're seeing because it is so. It's so extreme, specifically the blood bits are so mm -hmm. extreme that I have to think mm -hmm. this is intentional so that everyone's kind of like, well, it serves two purposes. Like one, mm -hmm. one is you're not 
going to be too disturbed by this because it looks mm-hmm. totally ridiculous. But mm-hmm. then the second is, no, we want you to we want you to see that this is violence. Yeah. Like that this these I mean, acts are are creating damage. Yeah. <laughs> I I think it speaks to, you know, culturally different ideas about different kinds of sensitivities to violence. Mm different approaches towards violence within the context of a bigger lesson or story. Mm. I think it's very different East to West. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's something about utilizing the cartoonishness to separate it from the realities of violence, mm-hmm. you know, like all the things, but also this is just like such a huge part of movie making, you know, from the 50s, 60s, 70s in particular in Japan that it's kind of like you think of the different ways and the extreme aspects not that it's the same thing but just in terms of having a unique cinematic language Mm -hmm. that is part of a very populist branch of filmmaking for any given nation so you think of Bollywood for example and the extreme violence that's pulled into in particular a lot of the romance and romantic revenge stories like Mm -hmm. vengeance is such a bollywood theme Mm -hmm. and they do it so well but you when you think about it it's also done in a very extreme fashion and Mm -hmm. often a super violent fashion and so it doesn't mean that everyone in india all the millions and millions of people watching that incredible movie where the guy um or where the lady gets eaten by the alligator and it's hilarious or whatever (laughs) she's back anyways um that's for another time that's another link but you know (laughs) I, I don't think that it's warping the minds, the collective minds of literally millions of people living in India and going to the movies. Mm. But I don't know. Maybe it is. And it's just more comforting to look at that genre and release everyone of the culpability mm. or complicity in terms of like mind fucking everybody and making like <laughs> armies of sociopaths. Right. Yeah, totally. So who knows? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like when we were talking about American or what uh Natural born killers. Natural born killers, yeah. Like that, the <laughs> idea of like what that breeds, if it is a, is it violent or I, Yeah, I just, I don't, I've never been a, I've never been a believer in the culpability of cinema. Inspiring. Uh, yeah, no, I, mm. I just don't buy it. Um, Have you seen this movie before? Lady Snowblood? Nope, this is the first oh. time I saw it. Wow, that surprises me. There are so you're not lot... going to slap a parental advisory sticker on Lady Snowblood? No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. I actually or think... anything? I feel no, not not at all. <clears throat> uh, I heard about this movie after Kill Bill came out mm-hmm. because uh, Ellen and I went to see Kill Bill Volume One together. And did we see? We Isn't might have seen amazing? both of them uh, at the Cinerama, no less. Oh, yes, wow. and we yeah. After that, I heard about. Lady Snowblood and Thriller, A Cruel Picture, yeah, um, and these other movies that uh, mostly westerns, other than Lady Snowblood and Thriller, mm-hmm. that contributed to Kill Bill. I have a very limited knowledge of um, a lot of this of the Chambara films, mm-hmm. a lot of like. Yeah, a lot of the seventies Japanese stuff I don't know. Yeah. Um, if it's not like mm. Ozu or or Kurosawa, like I mm. I never saw a lot of the fun stuff. I only saw the kind of homework. Oh. <laughs> like art. Uh-huh. The academic with an one. H. Yeah. Um <laughs> so it's this was like watching this was so 
awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, I have so much to say about it. I have so much to say about it. Uh, but we'll, I'll let that unfold oh, wow. as we talk about it. I'm what, curious. What about you? No, yeah, I've never seen this before. So watching it and my friend told me, she said that Kill Bill was basically exactly the same. So it, I had, it made me mad at Quentin Tarantino in a weird way. Like <laughs> I was like, I mean, I'm curious about how you felt seeing Kill Bill after seeing this first and this being like part of your childhood that, I mean. Oh, to be clear, like I had no idea that he was referring directly to it, but you have to bear uh, in mind at that point, I had seen so many of these kinds of movies uh, okay. that it's like, I'm not tracking. And it wasn't like uh, I was, there was no internet for me to read about right. Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Uh, stealing siphoning (laughs) off all of these ideas but for me it's just uh, i just i mean eric can attest this i just laughed like i was having the the best day of my life which perhaps i was at that point Mm. but because i was very desensitized to that kind of of violence and even like more to make an even finer point no pun intended that i was really desensitized to sword-based violence yeah, which is a really funny thing to say <laughs> yeah like i'm all oh, that, that seems normal yeah Hooray, somebody's getting hacked into bits <laughs> that's funny i just yeah i was like I, I even being warned i was still like oh my god it's like the same <laughs> fucking movie and i know this has been well documented online that but it's still shocking so many things were taken from this movie to make kill bill that it's not it's not news but to me just watching it it was like whoa (laughs) that's yeah it felt like it's i don't know well like when is it when is it homage when does homage turn into plagiarism right but then also it's like are there any news stories yeah but the how similar it was like in the credits of kill bill the first thing that pops up should have been like inspired by lady snowblood honestly i've i've i do uh part of me is of the of the impression that quentin tarantino kind of owes uh owes a he is he is said aloud like he owes an an insane debt to the directors that have come before him and yeah all this but I did like particularly with Kill Bill. It's like you maybe you should say you know based on, yeah, <laughs> based right. on the story or based on the screenplay. Right. He did cast half of the people in Lady <laughs> Snowblood in Kill Bill, which right. which that that's to true. me is pretty that's a pretty cool move. Yeah, totally. He's not denying his his use of these things, and also I don't really care. Like it's just something I don't care about. Like I. <laughs> If you do it well, you've done a good job. I guess. Um, and I don't, it's, right. it's not like, I remember when, okay, here's a, this is not the same thing, but kind of. When D'Angelo's album Black Messiah came out, I really liked it a lot. And I was listening to <laughs> it. I was listening to, to it and talking, talking to someone about it. And uh-huh. they, their opinion of it was if I want to hear that, I'll just listen to Prince records. And I was like, yeah, uh-huh. but Prince isn't making records like this anymore. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. So what am I like the the idea that j- just like Ellen said, if new stories are in limited supply, am I just allowed? Am I only allowed to continue to the same well over and over and over again right. to for entertainment? Like it's not like this is law making policy or anything like that. It's just it's <laughs> entertainment. Like it's fun. Not yeah, yet. I, I think. 
for me, it, it's it's about you know people are making conscious and unconscious choices as artists, mm-hmm. um, you know, who are affected by the work and influenced by the work of other artists. And so when I feel like the viewer gets to decide for themselves Mm -hmm. when it is unsatisfying and to me that's the question i ask myself is like when am i not enjoying the references Mm -hmm. when is it does it feel like a like they're stealing versus paying homage and for me like that needle moves wildly you know and and it's down to the individual maker as to to what that means you know it's just Mm -hmm. like we were talking about perfect days and say and you know when somebody like goes on and on about their love for ozu and then you start to then see all of the ozuness that exists in their yeah yeah work it's like well you're not going to tell someone like well you can't love this to the point where it infuses your work consciously or unconsciously i think it's much Mm -hmm. more interesting for other artists when artists acknowledge in a conscious way yeah. where they see the influence because I think it allows people to express what is really happening, which is yeah. to feel kinship with another artist's vision yeah. so strongly that you don't know when it's you and when it's them, but also to just express respect, yeah, admiration, mm-hmm. and love for the medium. Yeah, totally. That's what, I, that's what I like. Yeah, I like that too. I just feel like this feels so singular, this one-to-one <laughs> translation between that this film and then the film that he made. Like, I really have to agree with you. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, I know there are other influences. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. There's yeah. no doubt. It, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't bother me so, at all, but it is like this same. more so than almost any. Yes. Like, I keep thinking of De Palma. Brian uh-huh. De Palma uh-huh. is obsessed with Alfred Hitchcock in a way that's right. almost fetishistic. Yeah. And it shows like it's it's uh, you're it's undeniable when you watch his films, yeah. particularly his films from the 70s. You can't not you can't separate Hitchcock from uh De Palma. Right. And you can pick out like, okay, that's from Vertigo. Okay, that's from North by Northwest. You know, uh-huh. but you can really draw parallels. Uh-huh. But never, <laughs> yeah, that's the never thing. has it been like the esoterica of a film being mm-hmm. replicated. Uh-huh. So like the group shot of the four villains, yeah. that goes black and white. Yep, which is the which happens in Kill Bill. The the sun the manga uh, portion oh yeah, of, totally. of the movie, which yep. is full on anime in Kill Bill. Yep. You know, like these little things and the chapter breaks the and kernel blah, 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 of the story. Like, the, it all the party at the end but but then it's like yeah he uses the same he uses the music from this movie the music yeah he cast mm-hmm. them like yuki is in kill bill and the composer right. yeah it's, it's the same composer yeah so it's like i definitely it's it definitely crosses a line past homage yeah but i don't find it offensive for some reason well, but i also it is yeah. hyper hyper conscious and openly acknowledged and to me that's the way to do it if you're going to go past a certain amount of reference yeah like you go yeah. all in right and i think it's harder to with when you're talking about someone like quentin tarantino who just lives and breathes like certain kinds of film mm-hmm. yeah and really revels in the influence and sees influence as the building blocks to the, his own work right and so it's like well you know i don't get to decide that that's a choice that he makes yeah. and for me it doesn't it doesn't cloud my ability to enjoy his work in a broader sense or mm. to it it also doesn't 
obscure my ability to see his hand in his own work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I just see it as fun. And I think he'll bill as being really fun. Mm. I think Lady Snowblood is is a romp. Admittedly, yeah. like a very <laughs> blood-soaked, violent, mean, black-hearted romp. <laughs> yeah. But a romp nonetheless. Yeah, There's totally. different very kinds of romps, you guys. Yeah. And clocking romper, in at an romper hour. Rooms. All kinds. There's hour and rooms 40 minutes. for all kinds of romping. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know, but I get what you're saying, Joe. Yeah, I, to- I totally get it because it like there's a way to do it and there's a way to not do it. And like mm-hmm. I said, we get to decide like for you, if now it's inseparable from this and you can't. Yeah, like it's taken away your ability to consume like Kill Bill in the same way. Well, and that's really interesting. So, you know, if it had been in the other order, I wonder how you would see it. Yeah, I'm actually curious to see what you will what you'll take away from kill bill now i know well i do want to watch and i love kill bill it's like yeah one of my favorite i feel like a little bit betrayed by it i guess a little bit because i just think if he had called it lady snowblood and done a remake it you could have he would could be the exact same movie let me just okay this is the last thing I'm going to say about this because I really don't want to talk about Quentin Tarantino <laughs> on this know. podcast. Uh, not I today. Know. We will at some point. I'm quite sure we will yeah. get to one of his no. movies. <laughs> but um, if he were to, if he would have called it Lady Snowblood and cast Uma Thurman as the lead, we would all <laughs> have mm. taken shits in our hands and threw them at the screen. Like it wouldn't have, that that just wouldn't pass. That wouldn't fly. I guess. So yeah, here is where but- <laughs> he gets a pass. With homage. Yeah. Huh. I mean, a film just packed with source material reference. Yeah. Overt, direct, mm-hmm. kind of really wildly varied, you know, source material reference. And so it's like, I think you're just either you're in knowingly and un- or unknowingly yeah. or you're not. Right. There's not really an in-between. I don't yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. you're in on the joke or the experience or the desire or you're you're not mm-hmm. and you can enjoy the film in both of those ways. But mm-hmm. if you really don't want it, mm-hmm. like, then that's fine. If you know that it's it's referential and you don't want it, that's sort of a rough road. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I would I would add a credit if I were I, yeah, no, I th- I agree with you. I think anyways. It, I think that would have been that would have been the right thing the classy to do. thing to do but when you're <clears throat> referencing so anyway hard. whatever about him because we're talking about lady snowblood yeah <laughs> who shows up shows up everywhere she goes in the flyest kimono yeah with the, the coolest patterns ever and an umbrella sword a purple <laughs> umbrella with a sword in it that just she is so Classic. stylish it's unbearable <laughs> like <laughs> yeah Oh, she's cool. Which was your favorite kimono? Hmm. Hmm. Man. Good question. The only one I don't like is the butterfly one that she wears in the final scene. Oh, Ooh, I love that. Oh, one. Really? I don't like butterfly mochi. <laughs> I don't like a butterfly mochi. I like the cranes. Isn't it like kind of purple and there's like cranes all over it? Yeah. At the party. I like that one. I personally yeah. like the, uh, the blue, <laughs> the blue, broad horizontal striped joe kimono (laughs) that she wore like for the majority of the movie like they are all great they are fantastic i like them especially when they're covered in blood that's again um uh this movie looked so good just the cinematography is so amazing and the color 
is so cool. Like just it's that red. There's none more red. So much better than it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. So much better than it needs to I be. I kept thinking that. Like I was like, it's. I may really or necessary? may not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I may or may not have begun another one of my um, stupid for my eyes only video edits, like my uh. Incredible Hulk series. Um, <laughs> mm. But it's just the angry eyes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Every single sequence of her pissed off eyes. I love I'm like, that. oh, I could watch that on a loop. So I'll send it to you when I'm It's there. funny because it, it's weird. The story of her mom having all these atrocities and then she grew up, she didn't even experience any of that. But it's just she is <clears throat> the bread for her. And you just get that. Like the film just communicates that to you in such a great way that you don't even question. Like there's a, like a moment where I was like, well, she she's just a baby. Like she doesn't know anything about that stuff. And she was raised by these other women in the prison and, you know, but her whole existence, even her conception is to kill these people, which Which, is, which is why that ending is so powerful when she, yeah. Do you think she died at the end? No, 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 I don't, I don't think she can. She came to life (laughs) for the first time. She finally has her own life, but it, or does she, I think she died. Because she passes on the rage oh, to uh, uh, to to the daughter of oh god I hate that the, I didn't write any I didn't take any notes by the way I was so enraptured by the film. I love her her she it comes upon Kagura. Kagura throwing baskets in the ocean right uh, because yes. she's just not she's pretending she's to sell them but she's actually being a prop yeah. a sex worker she's a yeah. sex worker and then. Lady, Lady Snowblood later on throws her dad in the ocean the exact same way, like a big <laughs> pile of trash. Her dad's stiff, dead body, which is such a great shot off that cliff. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, I Ellen, mean, have you seen the sequel? Yeah. I sure haven't. No. So that's I no. Was, I guess I'm, she doesn't die then. <laughs> well, but then I, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up because I want to know if it's if it is her or if it's um, Kabue. I have a few uh, guesses as to what yeah. happens based on the Kill Bill sequel. I guess I guess Pablo's <laughs> done though, right? She she stabbed. Her. Oh yeah. yeah, so she's kind of done. And she's got it better because uh, she hasn't. <laughs> her entire existence is not based on <laughs> based on uh, revenge. <clears throat> How much do nope, you think? It's still I... it's still her. It's still Yuki in oh. Lady Snowblood Two: <laughs> Love Song of Vengeance, it's... which is also on Max. Ooh, Interesting. Shit. My link may have just changed. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, I know what's about to happen. Yeah, I know what's about to happen. I think I I feel like a, a part that I didn't remember, because, I, I mean, how much of this could I possibly remember, except that there's a woman going around killing a bunch of people, which yep. I it's resonates great. with me and is satisfying. <laughs> but the is when she's like, well, I guess I'm going to fuck everybody. <laughs> the mom. <laughs> zero recall of that yeah and then mm. just all of the scenes were just like mm, just going around the jail fucking everybody yeah. i'm like that doesn't seem necessary but also kind of weird but then interesting to call out what a million percent would happen which is everyone would hate you yeah, yeah i love that. that that layer is so interesting and realistic where she's like you <laughs> all hated me remember yeah. because i fucked everybody yeah. and you thought i was one of those women but i was really breeding a, a revenge demon <laughs> Um, which, right. Thanks for your help. Yeah. <laughs> it's also because I thought Yuki was going to end up being one of those villains' daughters because they all raped her mom too. She which says to Kabue's dad, 
um, see, this is like, she's like, do you, do I resemble any of the people that committed those atrocities against my mother to mm-hmm. you? And mm-hmm. so that is a weird disconnect or, or like a, a miscontinuity or something. <clears throat> Yeah, where it's like, oh, there's too much time between exactly. the original crime, her like pursuing, like deciding she's going to seek revenge and pursuing the yeah. first victim. Yeah, right. And her mom. Can we please talk? Go ahead. Well, how she ends up in jail? I forgot how she ended up in jail. She killed the first person. She killed the first man. Yeah, but she... he was that was he was still alive at the end. Or there were five people originally. There no, there were. There were four. There's four. There's yeah. four. And okay, wait. Is the first guy that she kills in the movie the gangster? Was that just a happy? That was a happy accident, right? Like she wasn't. She wasn't out to kill that guy. He just got in her way. Oh, okay. In the opening, the cold open. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I guess so. He's she just wasn't a after him. Doing it and he wasn't like... one of the people that that uh, killed. Oh her no, family. he is. I thought he was. Was he? But or was she just five. looking? She was looking for the other one. One, two, right? Because maybe she's just practicing. If the mom I mean, killed no one of them, them, I just got that impression. I think the mom killed just somebody practicing. else. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I she just went crazy and killed. Somebody. Maybe we're just gonna have to watch this again. Yeah, we gotta watch it again. <laughs> Math, um, it's hard. I, I went to the bathroom. feel like a a classic sort of not chambara, but like horror-ish moment of mm. course is when at in the near the end when the female villain mm-hmm. is like hangs herself oh and, my god and yuki bisects her <laughs> yes. and it's like oh cool. yeah i was so happy that she did that like everything just has the funny happy vibe yeah <laughs> i i was excited when she did that because i thought it looks very fake the hanging like she's looking straight at like her eyes are tracking where yuki is in the room still because it shows her hanging body it's amazing yeah. i love it but then oh, yuki cuts swinging. her in half so there's no chance that she's alive still <laughs> no but if so if it wasn't chambara if it was horror then the next scene would be that woman's uh, bisected torso like chasing yuki all over yeah right yeah i think we know that much so mm-hmm. there there's a mini rewrite it's not yeah. a rewrite oh. it's just a ha- a happy suggestion ellen just did a rewrite <laughs> what okay it's ellen's rewrite no, ellen's rewrite dojo i said i just said if this wasn't a chambara if this was horror that a million percent the lady's bisected body would then spend the rest of the movie chasing uh, Yuki and the guy with the intense 70s hair all over that building. That yes. hair was like Lego hair. Yeah. That was wild. Full on Michael Landon. Like, it was. <laughs> hey, right? That was like, and that seemed like advanced for 1973. That was like. Yeah crazy like robert smithson out in the middle of nowhere hair. <laughs> like he puts his head in a box like really intense like tinted aviator hair yeah i don't know how you've shaped your hair like that i mean i guess it's definitely a wig just, right um i'll tell you you just be japanese <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it just shapes like that i don't think that was a wig you i just think that have was... some what? intense hair that's his hair yeah, really that's that real hair that's that guy's super hot hot rad got so much tail 1973 hair. Yeah. Yep. Right? Like that guy would just put on his neck scarf and away he would go. (laughs) That's so funny. Uh, Slaying 
across the archipelago. Mm-hmm. Elf quest hair. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's mostly funny that it's just like you know what this story needs a character that's a reporter. I know, or or a novelist. What? Like it's, <laughs> yeah, a manga artist. Do you, I know he was a newspaper man, because uh, <laughs> but it was it was really funny. Like the he writes the story and it's it's received as a novel, or if the, maybe that was mistranslation or something. But yeah, I was confused because she Everybody's tells him to like, fuck off. You wrote this story, and this seems a little too on the nose. Yeah, this seems very <laughs> like true. that no lady one could make in, this up. <laughs> like that lady that was on Dateline, where she wrote, she like had her her chef husband murdered, and then she rather incredibly released a book called How to Murder Your Husband. Yeah, <laughs> that's a real thing. Yes, <laughs> and and it's like oh, oh that oh mm-hmm. Ooh. yeah that probably um yeah yeah Ooh. yeah weird that. it was confusing to me <laughs> the scene we we are sort of introduced as he comes up to her and like asks her to sit down with him and interview or whatever and she tells him that Wait, she's gonna murder his, him his hair comes up to her <laughs> yeah, and his says, hair waddles up she's she like says, how you do slices a, a tombstone <laughs> yeah. and he sees her do that and then she tells him to fuck off or i'm gonna kill you and then he writes, a th- mm-hmm. and then it's like a jazzy journalism. Great music. That's scene. my only note. Was I love this this jazzy journalism theme? <laughs> yeah. And then right, he's writing the story about her. I guess he found other sources, but I don't it, know. The, it was the guy that trained her, the priest that trained her. Oh, told, he talked to told him mm-hmm. the yeah. whole story. He's like, I he's like, and that. then we put her in a barrel a bunch of times, and her hair flipped around. Yeah, and around and around. <laughs> I love that her hair, her little ponytail is flying out of there when her body flies out. <laughs> It oh, it sproings out. Joe, there's your Halloween costume for this year. You can be Yuki in the barrel. I love that idea. It's so funny, too, because he tells her to stay in the barrel the whole time when she sproings out the first time. And then in like the next scene, he's standing at the base to cut the barrel in half. Like, what the what's the lesson here? What are you what are you learning how to do? Whoa. Stay in a barrel or jump out of a, a barrel? Scene that, a scene that cracks me up is... Um, when the song there's the re- re- reprise of this the theme song yeah. which is not a traditional japanese folk song about <laughs> murderous revenge and uh, waterfalls of course <laughs> written for the film right and amazing and performed by the actress yeah. who played yuki really right? yeah um Whoa. but mm-hmm. but when the children are ringing around the rosying slash like supposedly playing with the other child and they're singing that song mm. it's just like you know that song doesn't it's it doesn't have a lot of flow to it <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh it's like a weird time signature and i loved it it's mm. a it's, it's like where it's like huh it's it's like fi- it's like five or seven <laughs> it's a really i loved it i, I was super so into weird it. very weird yeah <laughs> I like the kids singing it kind of better than the <laughs> opening theme song one. That's a great song, though. It's, it's cool. It's like, this seems abrasive and, you know, captivating at the same time. The Masquerade Ball. Oh, yeah. Was this the same set as Hearts of Desire? Because it really, <laughs> really looked like. I mean, I, unless they jumped to uh, Japan to do this <laughs> yeah. one. I don't think they, so. That's right. a, it's a traveling set. <laughs> In old ass seeming bank. What? Oh, question mark. 
Yeah. With is the that the curtains. official name of that set? Yeah. Like, <laughs> this put if it's a, if it's a pop up book of film sets, it's like it's yeah. like uh, <laughs> yeah. two story mezzanine <laughs> yeah. uh, anonymous banquet hall. And you open it up and it's like it's India during the Raj. Yeah. It's uh, page Japan four during during everyone's about to get chopped up times. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's hard Chambata to times. But yeah, the that priest, the priest that uh, trains her tells the guy that story to make Otoka come out of hiding. Is it that was her name? Yeah, the lady, the lady villain, the one lady of the of the villainous clan. And when she does, and the camera stops for that second and zooms straight into her eyes, (laughs) caught just through the tiny gap in like somebody's arm yep. coming up those stairs. Holy shit. That was fucking incredible. Fan fucking tested. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, this isn't fair because she's not of all of the bad people, OG bad people in Lady Snowblood. She's not the raper. True. Um, mm. But she seems like the worst because she's just hanging out. Right. Yeah. yeah she was kind complicit. of like a very clever scam. And then she's just hanging out and angry. At uh, Lady Snowblood's mom. Yes. Uh, yeah. And she's like kind of overweight, which is just evil. Yeah, we so, gotta hate the fat one. Obviously, she's bad. Chapter four The Pleasure Palace final scene of Carnage. <laughs> <laughs> chapter, rolls off the tongue. Chapter two Mambo waves and tears of wrath. I, I love the. Uh, when he wrote, uh, Ryu wrote chapter four, uh, in yes, fabulous calligraphy, That's amazing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was such a nice, like, this movie's full of these fucking really nice moments. Like, it seems like a waste of a grindhouse movie. Like, it's it's so well done in all of these aspects. Yeah, I just don't, I don't see a difference in quality between this and a Kurosawa. Like, I mean, it just looks so beautiful. It has that strange staccato sort of cadence to it at a lot of moments, right? And mm-hmm. then, like, a lot of moments that feel like, what's a jump scare without a scare? Mm. The you mean like a like those quick zooms, tension, <laughs> those yeah, crazy just zoom like outs. a lot of like, I guess they're just yeah, like they're not jump cuts for that reason. Like there's just some, it's just about the style of editing that I think is really interesting. yeah yeah. And I love like the painterly quality of the cinematography. I was just thinking about it, right. So it's not just a slasher film, or it's not just a little violent one off. Like it's exquisitely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking about this. I can't remember what we were watching when I was thinking that the editors just don't get enough credit. It seems like, or that's where the mo- all movies are made. Some director was saying like editing is just the all the power is in editing. It's just like obviously that's where you create the entire thing. And I wonder how much of this the editing room was found its style and vision and everything. You know, obviously other parts of it, but. Just editors don't seem like they get enough credit for like crafting the final movie, or I don't know how much the director gets in the way of that or whatever. But this film seems like it just came the creativity on screen just all came together. It's like a heart to heart episode that we love, where everything just seems to work out. They're having a great time. It just seems like that. It just seems like it 
really like spiritually came together in such an amazing way. And I wonder how much of that was the editor involved. Who, who I don't even know. I didn't even look up who the editor is. But I always assume that anytime something works this well, anytime a movie works this well, it's because everyone showed up. Yeah. Like everyone. Mm. It's, you know, the director <clears throat> was clear and was able to communicate his vision, his mm-hmm. or her vision. Mm-hmm. The actors all did their jobs. The cinematographer had great ideas and then the editor like was able to translate all of that into yeah. into a, a story. Basically. I mean, because not to bring him up again, but that's when Quentin Tarantino's movies Hello. went downhill, right? After uh, his I mean, editor. I don't know how much of that is coincidence. <laughs> like, not to bring him up again, insert his name. I here. know. <laughs> I, I don't even want to talk about it because I, I, we will at some point, I'm sure. Uh, but I'll, I don't want to I'll do that say, anymore. though, editing for me, it's like, there is something to be said about having all of the pieces present, but it's also like, you know, a good editor can make a palace out of hot garbage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think back to um, a long ago filmmaking class where everyone um, is given the same raw footage mm. and asked to edit. Oh, And it's just so wild, the different ways the different shapes Mm -hmm. that stories can take Mm -hmm. from that moment Mm -hmm. and so i think that the editors do get the prop their props Mm -hmm. i think that they're not necessarily names that people who are not don't pay attention to to behind the scenes um names but i feel like any director is going to know that your editor is such an important yeah voice and to like get but out it is of their interesting. way like it's i i i would encourage you to indulge in that as an experiment if you never have which is like to take the raw footage throw it out there like you have because it'll have a loose storyline right but yeah. it really is right about honing the manner in which you tell that story but it's so interesting but lady snowblood is like so much more than it needs to be but i mm. also feel like it has this vibe and overall look um to the footage and and everything that makes me think of some of like the better known crazy films from japan at this time like Mm. i always think of course i can't think of the 70s with like japanese films that have had crossover appeal without thinking of house which is not the same (laughs) thing Uh but which is one of my favorite movies of all time Um, house rules (laughs) and it's also something that is so much more than it needs to be. And I think it's because in America, maybe with the exception of people that go on to be like big names, like, or, or have more meaning than you think. Like when people think about all the people that um, threw their energy behind Roger Corman's work, for example, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like this genre mm-hmm. that people are making films within, but then you have these people that are like above and beyond incredible contributing to within mm-hmm. the parameters of that genre. And yeah. I think there's a ton of Japanese films that ha- hold space in that way. Yeah. I don't know anything. I, I yeah. don't know anything about like <clears throat> what was happening uh, nationally with, with Japanese cinema. Like at that time, was the government doing any sort of uh, subsidizing a film um, cause I just think about like, w- it's usually when the resources are available, 
to mm. to filmmakers, mm. especially like young or new filmmakers, if the resources are available, risks are taken. I because and things sometimes end up better than they need to be. Yeah. And I think about the Canadian horror movie boom of like the seventies and eighties. And how movies like The Silent Partner or Black Christmas, for that matter, like where mm. where it's like this is obviously you know it's because these they weren't struggling to get this made, right? Like at least not struggling as hard as you might. They were given resources to yeah, yeah. or just or the resources were just available. Yeah, it wasn't like in their a way, own. Yeah, that was like we don't have to do this on a shoestring. And there wasn't know? a pressure because it wasn't their own money that they were spending that they were gonna have to like pay rent or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I just always think of that as being a. I a... I actually I don't. Go ahead, please. Yeah. Oh no, I don't know. I don't have any insight into state funding for filmmaking for commercial filmmaking in Japan at this time. But when I think of film in the seventies globally, of course there's all the things that you think about that were also very present in Japan. I think like something to consider with um, Japanese cultural output from 1945 onwards. Um, but also from uh when Japan, like it, it's a culture that has such an unusual um, history regarding like the homogeneity uh, within the culture, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you tell people that it's like those Dutch people can stay here because they're selling stuff, but um, but everybody else don't come in here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Fast forward, spread across the globe, doing terrible things, and then uh, a reckoning is served to you by the United States government and then what happens i mean how does that shape the psyche yeah i feel like a lot of these later era films that have this level of violence are not just reflections of traditional culture and stories but they're also reflecting much more in terms of the national psyche and the desire to both hold on to tradition and culture and identity and release it mm -hmm. and assimilate you know and to participate because the pressure is on for countries to be participating on a global stage and i feel like japan particularly um based on their actions and actions that were done to them there's a a pressure for them to want to atone but then also to be allowed like egress into this space that totally. basically it's like hey everyone you tried to annihilate us yeah uh so we're just going to come in here but you yeah. think of the 70s in general like post-vietnam war uh post-sexual revolution you know which has a global impact and just think of all the ways that sexuality and violence um are beginning to seep into work that has a broader audience Yes. But then you think of Haosu. Haosu's like, what, mm. a year away from the Walkman happening? <laughs> mm, yeah. And, right? So 10 years mm. after this film is released, I don't know what year the sequel is, but like then Japan become, begins to become an economic superpower, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting, culturally. Yeah, the, the sequel to this came out the following year by the same director. Oh. <laughs> wow. And yeah, He's so really same star, same director. I wonder if he had that in mind before filming this one. Like, 
that's really fast. I or mean, was this one commercially successful? It had to have been. Yeah, to make a sequel, I guess. It had to have at least made its money. I wonder if that was planned. Like, I already. don't think any. I don't think there's any <laughs> cinema proving grounds that don't work along the lines of, "Did you make your money back? Huh. Okay, you get to make another one." Like that's <laughs> that's just kind of the basic rule, no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Yeah. I kept thinking about 70s like I kept thinking about 70s cinema and and the way that the language was the language of cinema was being uh explored and augmented during the 70s uh particularly out of the like kind of opulent like like big showy 60s into mm-hmm. a more uh personal like the 70s brought about auteur what we call our auteurship um, and then right. like the use of stillness and silence, mm. which we can argue like starts with Westerns <laughs> or, beca- or, you know, became widely used with yeah. Westerns, mm. but the use of it in this film, I was like, Oh God, it's just so perfect. Yeah. The like, tension building, but just the way mm-hmm. that it's like you, you're forced to look at it. You're forced to reckon with certain moments mm-hmm. in a way that you wouldn't really be allowed to, at least in American movies mm. <laughs> for a lot of the, a lot of time. Cause you know, the French did it. Yeah. Uh, the French were good about, about saying like, Oh, it makes people uncomfortable when you're, when you're quiet and still. So let's use that. Yeah. And the choreography of the fight scenes is so well done. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's all, everything editing and just the shots and the timing and just everything feels really smooth and nice and good. And I don't know. There's something. It's like a dance. It's really, and like really the placement of the hoses. Yeah, the blood hoses. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Or I don't, when I don't know clothes, how you do that. Like clothes would come off in perfect, perfectly cut, you know, yeah. <laughs> slices. Uh huh. But it was so cool. Like just it. It is choreographed beautifully. Like everything feels painterly in a in a way yeah yeah <laughs> but also it's exciting it's uh it's fun it's a grindhouse movie mm-hmm. but interesting to think so this film comes out what 10 years after ozu's death yeah. right and so when you think about the broader context of japanese post-war cinema like when you think of someone like ozu who's creating their own language through film right who has these very distinct trademark ways of filming lenses that they use to film you know and the type of stories that are being told and what meaning that holds for japanese society at that time mm-hmm. you know and to to be making work that's so hyper specific to japan at that moment mm, yeah um to pull people into these like just tightly focused intimate stories that have this broader connection right and then to think about something like lady snowblood that occupies this totally different space genre wise but it does make me wonder where the films that are blending those two worlds are where where that influence talking about he who shall not be names it you know mm-hmm. <laughs> how he's influenced by this film it's Voldemort. like it'd be, it's interesting to me to think about this because it's a question i can't answer for myself and that i'm gonna have to look up it's like who is occupying the space between ozu between you know the classics and 
Haosu or and uh-huh. Lady Snowblood, like yeah. all the types of films that are happening in between, whether it's kind of commercial, dis- you know, disposable commercial stuff or like really intentional artist driven film, you know, that's not for necessarily for a wider audience. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that's really at, interesting at to think about. Time, but then I also thinking of the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, thinking about the 70s, too, I think about um, the agency of women. Mm-hmm. as characters in commercial film and how what role that might have played in the development of Lady Snowblood yeah. just in terms of the way that it's presented. Oh, yeah. Last night we we mentioned that we watched this movie for the podcast and a friend, uh, Adrian, was said it was part of Pink. Pinky, pinky Thrillers? Pinky. What was it called? It was like a genre of film female where led female yeah. beautiful female led like murder mayhem yeah basically <laughs> which yeah which it's, part, a, it's like a, the trend never goes out of style and, well <laughs> when you think of japanese society and the role of women yeah um yeah and what their lives look like at that mm-hmm. at that point you know with the rise like and not even the rise with just like the the cementing and the firmament of you know office man culture and things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just the struggle against that. Like uh, it must have been just so satisfying to yeah. go and watch a beautiful woman. Yes. Like as a woman, female identifying person to go and see a beautiful woman hack some motherfuckers into little uh, squirty bits. Yeah. That's deeply satisfying. I, I'm so fascinated by that too. I don't even know what to call it. Like cultural zeitgeist, I guess, of Japanese culture specifically. And it's definitely... And we were just talking about the anime thing in America with all the people doing all the anime and just like how much it's it's spread throughout the world and how what a inspiration everyone takes from Japanese culture and how the meticulous aesthetic beauty seems like it's always been a part of that culture and how it's but you're talking about like what how it's changed and what it's brought based on the war and just conflict and that kind of thing is really interesting i don't know either like what to call it or how to think about it it's i'm really fascinated by that too though that's like the thing and it finds its way into even this movie which is about a woman slicing people up cutting them in half cutting their arms up the aesthetic beauty in this movie is like off the charts Mm -hmm. compared to something from the uh, the west that would be the same thing we tend to think I think it's more about dirtiness and disgustingness, and but they there's like a Japanese way of finding beauty inside of the, even Jesus that. is the difference. Um, <laughs> You're right, Jesus. I mean, it is it's... when, but when you think about the West mm-hmm. and the way that that's an influence, like you think about the interplay between Japanese samurai films and mm. American and European westerns. You know, mm-hmm. like there's there's tropes, global cultural tropes that really resonate and yeah. that people find very satisfying in particular on screen. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know when I think about where um, Japanese culture is at in terms of the history of Orientalism. Sorry, I always have to have a Saeed moment whenever possible. Um, Orientalism or, you know, what what people are perceiving as their take, whether conscious or unconscious of haponisme, right? It's like, well, how does an awareness of appropriation change a 
the approach people have towards Japanese culture, what they see as Japanese culture, which is by and large mostly just like the the main pillars and primarily pop culture, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like when you're talking about like it's like what that Quentin Tarantino, he stole all that shit. But yeah. then it's like we also, like you were saying, we're having this conversation where I'm just like, hey everybody, stop tracing the big eyes. It's tired. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's right. Like, <laughs> yeah. like it's just like <laughs> such a complicated uh ball of tedious and for me unwanted string but there we go that's what we talk about here. and like we talked about before hard to decipher like intentions <laughs> and it's it's creator by creator whatever case by case basis of like deciphering intentions with what they're doing with with that inspiration and that's the that's why it's so hard to talk about cultural appropriation or whatever is like how much of it is appreciation and appropriation and it's all blurred together. It's confusing. and Right. Everybody just stop wearing the headdresses. I'm begging yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> There's some big ones that we can just not do at all. There's... Yeah. The computer does not <laughs> want us to talk about, talk about that director again. Right. Um, yes. Village people. We get it. But I wanted to do a little sort of a plug, I guess. Speaking of films that like the spirit comes through in a major way. We watched a movie called uh, Fantasy A Finds a Mattress. Is oh. that what it is? Oh, yes. I love Fantasy A. Oh my God, this movie is so Fantasy good. Fantasy A Gets a Mattress yeah. is maybe the greatest film yes, it's <laughs> to come so out of Seattle. <laughs> fun. Ever? I don't know. It's, <laughs> and ugh. regionally, like that thing has been like a sellout smash hit good since it dropped which was quite a while ago now but yeah. it did all the festival circuits and then it did extended runs at the beacon it did nice. extended runs like around the region and people still clamor for it that's great yeah, what a special film it, it felt so, so good to watch that like it was such a treat and it it uh inspired rachel my my bandmate in pink lotion she she wants to Put together a, a film series of Black Camp, which uh, we that. we talked about for about an hour, uh, and we'll mm-hmm. we'll most likely be figuring out how, when, and where to do such a thing. Nice. Yeah, yeah. What an amazing movie! If you get a chance to watch that, it's so funny. Oh and yeah. Good. Um, this like the spirit just really comes through. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of the spirit coming through. <laughs> Speaking of coming through a spirit. Yeah, it's a time for, for Pick Your Book. <laughs> or did Ellen have some rewrites for <laughs> No, she already uh, skewered this the writing of this film. <laughs> yeah. If I was going to rewrite Lady Snowblood, I think I would just first start with Uma Thurman I'd, as the star. I would star. just call it Kill Bill. Yeah, something like Kill Bill or something. <laughs> Ellen, you got a poke? Which kimono is your book? <laughs> yeah, it's the kimonos. And snow. Two <laughs> things I really love. And violence. And Just kidding. Sorry, my parents made me this way. <laughs> Japanese parents, am I right? <laughs> I assume. Wouldn't made know. this way. Uh, land and hair for me. Is that the... Ryu. Uh, Ryu, the... The journalist with the land with in the there, hair. with the with the village people here. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean that guy's a fox. Yeah, uh, mine was the mustachio guy that got killed in the beginning. I caught him too. There actually, there was a the one of the at the gambling hall. Um, there were <laughs> the two people standing sitting on either side of Yuki were wearing 
nothing but this weird bandage underwear. Like mm-hmm. they were they were becoming zombies from the middle out. Oh yeah. Um the one on the the one on the right with the blue wing tattoos on his shoulders, he was hot. Mm. Oh. He was like super hot. Huh. But then Landon Hare showed up and I was just like, You're you can get it. Like yeah, I was kind you're of like confused. literally sexy. I think I was confused about what those guys were. They were little piece of paper dealers i don't that the game was confusing to me yeah but i don't gamble so uh before we get to links the last note i have is i love the shot when um ryu is holding the main villain hostage he's got a sword on him there's a gun <laughs> who i believe was our link yeah is, it, is that who our link was i believe ig okada was the the guy pretending to be dead yeah, with the mask that gets mm. peeled off. Oh, but then it rad. cuts to... There was every... a Scooby-Doo mask reveal. Why are we not talking about the Scooby-Doo? Yeah, mask? totally. But there's... I don't know. I'm just realizing, why didn't I call out that evil lady by saying that bitch literally bought a gun to a knife fight? She did. Yeah, she did. <laughs> okay, sorry. It cuts right? to shots of people reacting to what's happening, and, it cu- and then it cuts to a pigeon and yeah. it gets its reaction <laughs> to like oh my god <laughs> this is crazy i think the pigeon was so on the good. thing that she was gonna swim yes, from that's but, it, why, but, but i also like... i also was like did the they p- just cut the to p- a pigeon yeah the pigeon's like whoa what this, the fuck this going movie on? rules it's... in so many ways <laughs> yeah it's that moment of tension and balance mm-hmm. where you're waiting for her to strike yeah right Mm -hmm. and there's this entanglement and attack happening with the we thought he was dead villain and michael landon hair guy and Mm. she is just crouched like on the mezzanine right on the walkway and Uh it's just like the visual balance there feels so weighted like it's like a seesaw right Mm -hmm. without any wild camera moves it just gives that motion it's such such a well done scene yeah and then she he's like yuki do something yuki and she's just standing there with evil eyes staring and then she stabs through him and the villain the the hubris for ryu to to be like yuki go ahead and kill him yeah like don't let me stand in your way as if you were ever in her way i know there was like a (laughs) she was never she didn't give a fuck about you dude well there was sort of like a love (laughs) plot kind of vaguely simmering underneath maybe i didn't read that i just saw really i did no i just saw her as being like oh you're his son well she got so upset when that was revealed (laughs) so i think that she that's what i think it's upsetting He's a symbol of he's a symbol of that man's life, the man that she's out to yes, kill. Yes, but also, don't you think that it just draws out the fact that they are the same? Kind of. Yeah. They're both the children of these really flawed people. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That do harm or that want to perpetuate harm. Mm-hmm. That's really layered. Yeah. Yeah. And then she gets stabbed in the gut by the daughter whose dad she killed. Yeah. Right. Also layered. Yeah. And she, the, but that, and she smiles at her. She has like this moment of like satisfaction. Mm. I think that is the one moment of satisfaction that she has because she created the situation that made that woman seek revenge and that woman right. got her revenge. Yeah. So this demon who is born of, re- of vengeance can only find satisfaction in that. And that's why it hurts even more when she is finished with her entire life's 
purpose. Yeah. And there is nothing more. Yeah. And it's there also There is no like, satisfaction. And she can't even die. Why can't I think of that saying where it's but like... again, another sort of similar experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she smiles because she's... There's an acknowledgement there, this tacit acknowledgement that it's like, we are the same. Yeah, and player to, to represent... To live such, such a lonely existence as to be a vengeance demon, mm. to train on your own, to be raised as an orphan, to do all of that. All there is is loneliness. All there is mm. is is anger and pain, right? Yeah. Just, just, which is, you know, anger, just another form of pain. And so to recognize kinship with these other two characters, I think is a really interesting moment. Mm. Player recognizing game? Yes. Is that the saying? It's game, right? That... Game recognize game. Yeah. <laughs> that, I was like... Are you speaking a... basketball right now? Yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> it's basketball. I guess I'm appropriating. Um, first of all, was a, a, the, I, I hope my last words are... What was it? Shit, I forgot now. But I, I hope I can slice a bamboo in half with a katana at some point in my life. That sound, I will really want that. I also was jealous of Yuki for just having this... Her life has a clear purpose. She's never like, oh, what am I going to do today? It's like constantly she has this clear no purpose. No quarter-life crisis there. Nope. And then the last words, this is an outrage. Because you're dead before then. Are just the best last words. This is an outrage. <laughs> I hope that's my last Not words. Wrong. Not yeah, wrong. This is an outrage. <laughs> uh, I think I'll I think I'll take the uh, the wandering aimlessly through life uh, over... <laughs> Over being an Asura. Over, over having over one bisecting purpose. everyone. I'd rather be a murder demon. Over being in the barrel. <laughs> I wish I barrel boy. I wish I just once life. been put in a barrel to learn about things. That barrel life. <laughs> <laughs> just gotta roll with it. Uh, barrel recognizes barrel. Barrel recognize roll. Um, <laughs> rolls roll. Oh, roll. Rolls, Speaking of rolls. Rest in peace, Rose. Uh, all right, Linky, Linky Links. Mm-hmm. Ellen. Oh my God. What you got? Okay. Well, you know. Um, okay. <laughs> I. Um, okay. <sighs> I am linking from the theme of revenge. Oh. Me too. And, and <laughs> from the theme of stuff made in Japan. Mm. Um, so I have two links. And I don't I I have no partiality to either one. And I went I was like just flipping through the immense amount of vengeance based films made by Asian filmmakers. Then I was like, I'm gonna focus on contemporary work from Asian filmmakers um, about vengeance. And again, it's just like so many movies that I started to wonder. Um, And so I just abandoned it. I left it behind. I'm like, sorry, old boy, love you. Sorry, lady vengeance, love you. And um, my revenge-based pick would be The Limey. Oh. Soderbergh. (laughs) The Limey. Um. Just taking this completely, like, leaping across the ocean. What is that about? Um, But then my other just Japanese thing would be how to, of course. (laughs) Should I read you the, Joe, should I look up the IMDb description of Limey? If you would. Okay. Hmm. 
What right. what is that about? <laughs> um, I'm so glad you asked. This is what IMDb says it's about. Hang on. Got so many so many hoops to jump through just to get this probably not very good description. Okay. The Limey. 1999's The Limey from director Steven Soderbergh. Starring Terrence Stamp, Peter Fonda, and Leslie Ann Warren. Ah, three for three. Mm -hmm. An extremely volatile and dangerous Englishman goes to Los Angeles to find the man he considers responsible for his daughter's death. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. It's a good movie. Did you want to read the Haosu description as well? Please. Oh. I think you should. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. I've never seen either One of these second. films. <clears throat> Oh my God! You're I know how Sue has been on my list for a long sort time. Sort of confusing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm cool with okay. How Sue, 1977's How Sue, directed by Nobuhiko Obayashi. Um, a schoolgirl and six of her classmates travel to her aunt's country home, which turns out to be haunted. Oh. Was that it? <laughs> I mean, that's as good that's as you it. can get oh. for what more a description of this oh. movie. <laughs> yeah, it turns out to be haunted. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, I. Yeah, that probably took them a year to, to boil that down. <laughs> <laughs> I am choosing <clears throat> writing of wrongs. The theme is writing of wrongs. Oh, that's your theme. Okay. Wow. Um, okay. With a secret thing that I will, the secret link that I will not divulge unless this gets picked. Um, what? My movie that I would like to do is, uh, I think I've cho chosen this before and it didn't get picked. 2009's Argentinian film, The Secret in Their Eyes. Hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. The only it's feature back. film directed by Juan Jose Cabanea. Uh, starring the gorgeous and awesome Ricardo Duran. What's it about? A retired legal counselor writes a novel hoping to find closure for one of his past unresolved homicide cases and for his unreciprocated love with his superior, both of which still haunt him decades later. <laughs> it's huh. a really fantastic movie. Okay, um, 2009. 2009, yeah, it's new, um, and it does, uh, it's... Takes us takes us out of Japan and the seventies, but <laughs> all right. My link is also on vengeance, and for obvious reasons, I chose 1974's Foxy Brown, and this is about a, volu a voluptuous vigilante. Vigilante <laughs> takes a job as a high class prostitute to get revenge on the mobsters who murdered her boyfriend. Oh shit! Now I'm really in a difficult position. Between what? Oh my god, I feel like we need to wheel it. You think mm. so? Do you want to? Should we try a three, two, one? Because okay. yeah, we could. Well, wait. So, am I going limey or housey? Yeah, good I question. think you can choose either. I feel like because it should be like a three-way revenge situation or righting of wrongs. So I feel like I should go with the limey. Oh. What year is Haosu? No. 
Eight, Just kidding. I'm going to go with Haosu. <laughs> okay. Okay. Haosu. Three, two, one. Haosu. Haosu. Oh. <laughs> wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Ladies I've been wanting to watch this for a long time. I am so happy that Ellen picked Haosu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. That was close. <laughs> because Are you I'm... as happy as my bouncing, decapitated Japanese <laughs> Hey, save it for the pod. Save it for the pod. Uh, listener, I hope that you will join us in watching this truly bananas and weirdly beautiful movie uh, that is streaming on Max. Also. Oh, nice. Um, it's also on the Criterion channel. Uh, you can rent it from Prime. It might also be on Canopy. Here's I my... hope there's more blood sprinklers. <laughs> B- pressurized hoses of blood. Uh, oh, shit, it is not. Wait, let me see if they just spelled it house. Um, because sometimes that happens. It sometimes is under mm-hmm. house. Like people. Ringu? Uh, it is not on Canopy, sadly. Mm. But mm. Uh, there are many places you can find it, including your local video store, which if it's a local video store. It absolutely has multiple copies of Haosu. Yeah. Uh, and if you can't find a local video store, check out scarecrow.com. Yeah. They can do it for you. Listener, I hope you watch this. It's so fun. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's what we're doing next week. Uh, until then, we are hanging out on Instagram. And, oh my God, I can't wait to make the image for Haosu. <laughs> <laughs> bring Bobu. it on instagram i hope you've you've all seen boba interjected into all of the films that we were watching <laughs> what's for the lady snowblood one gonna be too oh you shall see i <laughs> can't wait <laughs> um, Lady so follow us there at it was murder pod and we're also on twitter although we're not very active at it was murder pod <laughs> uh you can write to us send us minute maxes send us your thoughts on any of these movies that we're doing yeah uh send us suggested links I like a suggested link. Uh, those can all be sent to itwasmurderpod at gmail.com or any either of the social media platforms. Our DMs are open. Yeah, do a five minute or a minute max on Haosu. Yes, do try it. Yeah. <laughs> we will see. I can't wait for Joe's minute max on Haosu, actually. A bunch of teens go to a house that ends up being haunted. There, I did it. Done. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what else? Rate and review us wherever you're listening to us. Uh, if you give us five stars and write a nice review, that helps everybody find us, and then they can do the same. Mm. Um, it'd be cool. Yeah. Again, if you want to hear us talk about every episode of Heart to Heart and all eight of the movies and recaps and way too much information about our lives, episodes one <laughs> through one hundred and twenty something. There's we'll one hundred and twenty-seven episodes waiting for you. So take a drive from Seattle to Miami and listen to us the whole way. And back five times. <laughs> uh, with that, I think there's nothing left to say but good night, Freeway. Good night, Freeway. Good night, Freeway. Good night, freeway.